Last week we looked at the miracle at the pool of Bethesda, which is John's third sign in his gospel of seven signs, all pointing to the greatest sign, which is the the, the resurrection. A couple people listen. So the resurrection is that great final sign that John points to with all his other seven signs through his gospel. And what we saw last week was that the Jews were quite unhappy with Jesus breaking their Sabbath laws. In the sermon, we looked at why Jesus wasn't actually breaking the Sabbath, but he was breaking the Jewish understanding of the Sabbath, the big difference between the two. So today we're going to pick up where we left off with Jesus kind of informally standing on trial before the Jews. And this week I'm going to show you how Jesus shows himself to be about his father's work and how we too are called to be about this same kind of work. Again, the text is John chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 18. Even though we looked at 18 last week, we're going to kind of bounce off of it again and look all the way down to verse 29. Church, these are the words of God, so let's give attention to them this morning. John writes, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, that is Jesus. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He who does not come into into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. The word of God for his people. Let's pray. Father, as we approach once again your inspired text, the words that you've given to us inspired by your Holy Spirit, we pray that that same Holy Spirit would inspire us and propel us. Uh, to do the works that you've called us to, that we would enter into that work of Jesus Christ, that we would see Jesus clearly in this text. Father, I pray for me as I uh, preach this morning. I pray that uh, you would have your Holy Spirit to be upon me, that as we join together the Word and the Spirit, we might be truly transformed by the Gospel. Father, I pray that everything that I say would be honoring to your son, Jesus. I pray that if there's anything that I say that is not, that it would go in one ear and right out the other. Father, I pray that my words, all of our thoughts today uh, would be honoring to your son, Jesus. And we offer up 
all of this to you now in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, while the Jews are kind of still reeling from Jesus' initial statement back last week, you remember he said, My father is working until now, and I am working. So Jesus kind of doubles down here in verse 20 and says, You will marvel at even greater works than these. Right, do you see where I'm tying this together? My father's working until now, and now I'm working. Even greater works will you see. So Jesus still has works on the mind. What is he talking about? Well, this morning we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the father's work and what he means by the father's work. We're going to look at that greater work that he's referring to, and then we're going to look at our work. Where do we come into play in the story of the gospel of Jesus' ministry? But we'll start, as I said, with the father's work. And you'll see that it starts with this pattern of smaller to greater. All right, you can see Jesus' kind of thought uh, process where he starts uh, with the smaller work of healing on the Sabbath, right? This small little point in history. But then he moves to a greater idea of working and doing. And we'll see that clearly in just a minute. But, but he's kind of generally talking about the work of the Father. All that work connects back to his dad, to, to Jesus' father he's always going back to the father now what i want you to do when we're thinking of work this morning is to think of work through the lens of vocation have you guys heard this word before the word vocation i want you to think about it from that angle the the idea of vocation is that it's there's a lot more to your work than just doing a job that it's your whole being you're you're participating and it's really who you are you think about there was a time when your work was connected to your name right you, you were a kind of person. Your last name actually had a meaning to what your work was. And we still have a little bit of this even in small town uh, North City, don't we? With, with things like farmings, I can think of a couple families where you say their last name and you think, oh, they do this, right? So that's what I want you to kind of think through that lens. It used to be that your father taught you his work, his trade, and you entered into that work and you would learn from him and then you would actually carry on that family work to the future. That would be your work one day, not just your father's work. So a good son in this kind of vocational thinking would do nothing of his own accord, but he would watch the father closely, as it says in verse 19. And by the father showing the son or his kids his work, this was actually a loving act because he was in a real way showing uh, you a way to live. This is the way to live, to make a living. This is how you earn money. This is how you uh, are productive. This is how you love your family. This is how you love your community and you're generous towards others. This is a way of living. This work is what the father would give the son in this kind of vocational thinking. So consider that image, imagery with Jesus and the father. Jesus carries on the vocation of God on earth. Right? So he's taking the work of the Father there in heaven and bringing it to us here on earth. And he's given it to the Son, the Son of God and also the Son of Man, this God-man brought together in one. So you can see Jesus' apprenticeship as he's kind of growing up. If you look through the Gospels, Luke's Gospel fills us in on some of the early days of Jesus. And it tells us that Jesus in his humanity was, and I quote, growing in wisdom and stature. Now think about that. God and Jesus was growing in wisdom and stature. So there's this idea of Jesus and his humanity learning and maturing under the guidance of the, of the heavenly father. He didn't uh, pop out as a baby and know everything that he needed to know. He actually had to grow under his father, father's care. 
So further, the King James even uses the language of Jesus being about his father's business. Right? You hear this when Jesus kind of wanders off in the temple and his parents are frantic trying to figure out where he's at. He says, I was about my father's business. I was in his house. I was I was doing my work. Right. So Jesus is thinking in these kind of terms. He's carrying out his father's business, his father's work. So Jesus, by pointing or, uh, Jesus, by this point, has sat under the father's work and watched him so closely that he can confidently prove his work to the critical Jews as they stand over his work of healing on the Sabbath and say, you didn't do this right. Right. They're coming and saying, "Nope, that's not right. And Jesus kind of says, no, actually, I've been watching the father all along. And I know the father. I watch the father. I'm reflecting the father. And actually, this is what the father would be doing. So the Jews are missing something about Jesus. What Jesus is trying to show us is the work of the Father and what we should be reflecting as well. So what is the actual work? What is it about God the Father uh, doing his business? What is this actual work that we need to figure out what it is so that we can enter into it? So what I'm going to propose to you this morning is that this work of the Father, this godly work, is the work of life. Now, that might sound really general, but as we look at this text, you'll see this a little bit clearer. We looked at this a little bit last week, but we saw that in God is life, right? He upholds all things. So while Scripture does say in Genesis that God rested on the Sabbath, we all know that if God actually stopped all work, that our entire existence would vanish back into that formless void, right? If God actually stopped, you wouldn't be. Like you wouldn't even exist. So that's that's why Jesus says the Father's working up until now. And he doesn't stop everything just because it's the Sabbath. It even says in the text, text that in him is life. God is life. And Jesus reflects that. And Jesus has even been gifted that by God the Father. Jesus is life. And that is the work that Jesus has entered into. So Jesus has watched the Father do life his whole life. And he is one with the Father, and he's also acting like the Father who is in the business of life. So by doing ministry on the Sabbath, Jesus is actually doing exactly what his Father is. He's carrying on the family business, even on the Lord's Day, even on the Sabbath. So what about the glory of the work, the honor that the Father has? Well, the text speaks to that as well. Because Jesus is doing this, all honor should be on him just as they honor the Father. Look what it says in verse 23. Verse 23 says this, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So think about that. The worship, the glory, the awesomeness of God the Father is just as much the Son's because he's given the Son all authority over life. Think about a father and a father's business, right? He owns the business. He's the business owner. And at one point in that in his life, he hands that over to the Son, doesn't he? He says, this is the one who's actually going to continue on the work. So don't look to me with all your questions. Don't look to me with the, the business decisions. Eventually, you're going to have to look to the Son. So this is the kind of thing that's happening here with Jesus taking on this role from the Father. So he's given the judgment from the Father. He's given the authority from the Father. And what is he doing with the family business now? What's Jesus doing? Well, in the text, he's, he's healing people on the Sabbath. He's 
performing miracles. He's making weddings have radical changes. He's bringing life, isn't he? He's doing uh, healings. Uh, He's meeting a woman at the well, having spiritual healing for her. He's doing all kinds of work that is life work. But it's a healing and a redemptive kind of work, isn't it? So this is the kind of work that Jesus is about. It's this general giving life. And Jesus wants us to see that, that he's giving life and life abundantly. But here in this text, we see that he has something greater. So we understand a little bit better now what the Father's work is. It's this kind of ministry. It's redemptive work. It's the work of life where God is healing. But Jesus says that there's going to be this greater work. Look with me at verse 20, I believe it is. Yeah, verse 20. In verse 20, it says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he is himself is doing, and greater works than these he will show him, so that you may marvel. For the Father raises the dead and gives them life. So also the Son gives life to whom he will. So once again, Jesus wants to take us a little bit deeper. Right. A little bit uh, more internal. He says that there's still greater works than these. And it's not just ordinary life that Jesus is after. It's something even deeper. And that something is the something that all of John's gospel points to. It's the resurrection. It's that that is the greater work that Jesus is going to keep coming back to to say, guys, you think this is cool. You think I healed this person and that's awesome. But guess what? You're going to marvel at something even greater. And that something even greater is the resurrection. If you've been following John's signs, they all point to this one thing, and Jesus really, really doesn't want you to miss this. If you're going to get anything from John's gospel, you need to get that he's writing it so that you might believe, and that so you might believe specifically in Jesus who gives life, and the specific kind of life is the resurrection. That is your great hope, church. That's what you really need to hone in on. So the kind of work is the work of resurrection. But even then, you may not realize how, Je- how far Jesus is actually going to take this in this text. When I read this at first, you can kind of read it and you're kind of like, he's just talk- talking about all these like random things like authority, power, judgment. And I'm doing this work and my father's doing this work. And you're kind of wondering, what is he talking about here? But if you start to really hone in, you can start to get a clear picture of how he's moving from the father's work. Now to this greater work of the resurrection, and then he's going to give us some even more clarity clarity about what he's talking about with the resurrection. What you'll see is that he actually shows us the two resurrections in this passage. There's actually two kinds of life work, we might say, two kinds of resurrection in Scripture. Have you heard this before? There's the first resurrection and the second resurrection. I don't know if you've heard that kind of language before, but notice here there's actually two ways that Jesus talks about resurrection. We read the first in verse 25. Look at verse 25 with me. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Those who hear will live. Now, this is the first resurrection. This is salvation from spiritual death. And that, in a real sense, is resurrection. And Jesus speaks of it, and the rest of Scripture speaks of it in this way. And this resurrection is the new birth, right? We've talked about in John's Gospel, especially in John chapter 3, being born again. You've heard of this before. This is, in a real sense, a resurrection. It's regeneration from spiritual death being brought to life in Christ, right? That, 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 that thing that causes you to believe, where, you're, where you come alive in Jesus. 
Now, remember, Paul tells us in Ephesians, we were what? Dead in our trespasses and sins. Right. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God made us alive in Christ Jesus. So this work that Jesus came to do is the work of resurrection. We are in in this work of the resurrection is actually us coming alive. And the way that Ephesians talks about this is that we are actually his workmanship. So in a real sense, we are that work. We are the work of Christ created in Christ Jesus for good works also. Right. And we'll look at that in just a minute. Uh, but for now, let's let's not move on to the second resurrection. So that's the first resurrection that scripture speaks about. Now, then there's the second resurrection. And you see this in verse 28 through 29. Uh, it says, do not marvel at this for an hour's coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, this is the second resurrection. This is salvation from physical death. So this is the the final resurrection at the very end that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, where it says that we will have resurrected bodies. And notice he didn't say, as he did in the first uh, part, uh, uh, he said in the first part, an hour is coming and is now here. Now, what does that tell us? When we read an hour is coming and is now here, that tells us that the first resurrection is already here, doesn't it? Right? It's here. The, the, the work of people coming alive in Christ Jesus, believing the gospel, moving from that state of death to life. Jesus says, there's people around me right now that are participating in that. But he doesn't say that in this second resurrection that he talks about. He says, an hour is coming, and that's it. In other words, this is still future. There's a future resurrection. This is the second resurrection that he's talking about. And you see this in verse 25. Well, why, is, why doesn't he say it's now, it's, it's now here? he doesn't say that because it's not here. People aren't raising from the dead yet. There is still a future day. There's still a future resurrection. And we even confessed it earlier. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 23 through 26. But each in in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until... Think about that. Christ reigning until he's put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death being destroyed is at the very end. So the final resurrection happens after Jesus destroys every rule and every authority. It is not until he's put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So the final resurrection is that very last point when the old creation is finally birthed into the new creation. When it's all done, everything has already culminated. But it started back with the first resurrection, didn't it? When people even now are participating in that new life of Jesus. You, if you believe in Jesus this morning, you have participated in the first resurrection. You have went from death, Paul says, to life. You are alive in Christ Jesus and seated in the heavenly places. That's an amazing thing to consider that we are now with Christ in the heavenly places. So let's think about this from the greater picture of Scripture. Many of you are probably thinking when I say resurrection, you probably think revelation, right? You probably think what revelation has to say about the very last day. So let's just think about that. You don't have to turn there. But in Revelation 20, John sees a heavenly vision of these two resurrections. 
He sees that all authority has been given to the Son to judge, and this is the first resurrection. And it says, they will reign with Christ for a thousand years. And you say, a thousand years, okay. Well, if that's the first resurrection, it's already been a thousand years, right? Right? But this isn't a thousand, uh, this isn't a literal 1,000 years, because it's obviously been longer than that since Jesus was given authority to judge here in this text. And there have been people all through history for about 2,000 years, really, where they're coming to repentance, they're believing in Jesus, they're going from spiritual death to spiritual life. And that process has been a lot longer than 1,000 years. So the 1,000 years there is actually symbolic. Like most of Revelation, if you see all the imagery there, a lot of that is symbolic imagery. And thousand years really just means a long period of time. And Scripture speaks about that thousand years actually in other places is just meaning really, really long. It's, it's a big period of time. And that thousand years, that reign with Christ where the dead are coming alive spiritually is now. We're presently in that period of time now. It's the hour that is coming and is now here, as it says in verse 25. So the first resurrection, when Christ is reigning from heaven in the hearts of man, and we are called to be co-laborers, co-heirs with him in that, that work, is here. We're participating in that now. And Jesus wants you to actually see that in this text. He wants you to see it's here, the hour is coming, it's here, now. It's not just coming in the future. And that's important because we often forget about that, don't we? We think that reigning with Christ is after everything is made perfect. But Jesus says there's a lot of work to do. There's, there's death. There's lots of enemies. There's powers. There's principalities out there. And he's actually calling us to enter into that work with him. And we forget that. We think that Jesus is just going to come back and then he's going to set everything straight. Well, No, he's actually called us to be co-laborers with him. That work that the Father's doing, that Jesus is doing, he's calling you to that same kind of work. He doesn't do it all on his own. He actually gives us the honor of coming alongside with him and reigning with him. So there's chapter 20, calling us to be co-laborers with him, co-workers with him, reigning with Christ. But then if you look to the next chapter in Revelation 21, I don't know if you turn there or not, but Revelation 21, then you see the second resurrection where all the physically dead who believed will come alive physically to eternal life in resurrected bodies where you get your new body. And this is the hour that is coming but is not here yet, as it says in verse 28. So the hour when uh, all the tombs uh, will be emptied, they're going to hear this voice Jesus is going to call and at the last trumpet, and they're going to hear the voice, and the dead will come alive, and these will physically raise from the dead. This isn't just some spiritual resurrection where we uh, get disembodied and, and go into this kind of just happy, cloudy place. No, this is real resurrection, bodily resurrection, where you're going to be able to hug, that kind of thing. This is the resurrection that we're looking forward to, and that's the great hope that is the greater work that Jesus tells us to look forward to. He says, this stuff's awesome. Life is really great. You're going to marvel at it. You're going to see people healed. You're going to be seeing people turn from their sins. You're going to see uh, you're going to see kids that are sick getting better. You're going to see people that have been 38 years paralyzed walking. That's great. But there's something even greater coming, and that's the great hope of the resurrection. And Jesus wants you to see both. They're both really great realities. There's a first resurrection that you should be excited about, but something even better, and that is the work of the second resurrection that happens at the very end. So you've seen the, the greater work. You've seen the Father's work. What about us? What are we supposed to be doing? So what is Jesus calling us to in uh, this passage? It's his work. 
Jesus is actually calling us to his work. That's why we are his workmanship. It all kind of works together if you look at it. The work of giving life to the world has actually been given to us. He's entrusted it to us. He's made it abundantly clear that the Father and he are equal and that he is the Son of God and that as such, all the judgment and authority has been given to him. So that work is actually his work. Where Adam, the first son of God, failed, Jesus, the true son of God, succeeded, right? We are, we are the Adams. And until we enter into Christ, who is the true son of God, we are not really entering into that right work, right? We are actually the problem. We're the Adams that are messing the work up. And we need to be jumping into Jesus, jumping into his work. And that's when we actually enter the real work of the Father. So he shows us his work and his plans for his work, and he invites us into it. He makes it very clear. You might think about it like this. Just as a, an architect shows you a blueprint of your new home, like if you're going to build a home, if you've got plans to do something, you've got work to do, an architect, he's going to show you the plan. And Jesus says, this is my work, right? I'm spiritually resurrecting people from their sins, giving them eternal life now, and the hour is coming when I'll raise these people up from the dead in the second resurrection. He's saying, I'm doing the Father's work, which is giving life. Are you hearing my word? Jesus is asking you that, that this morning. Are you hearing my word? Because if you hear my word and you believe that the Father has sent me, you too will have eternal life. You're going to actually enter into that work as well. I will give it to you because that's my job. That's my work. That's my vocation. That's what Jesus does. And that's the family business. That's what the family of God is all about. It's about asking people and calling people into this great work of life. That's the family business. And just as my father loves me and showed me his work, I'm loving you by showing you my work. Jesus says, look, look at what I'm doing. It's a loving thing for the father to show me this work. And now I love you by showing you this work. So what are you going to do? What do you think's next? You need to love others by showing them this great work that God is doing. So practically speaking, Jesus is calling us to be co-workers and co-heirs with him. That's why he says things like the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He's calling workers. He's calling us to be on board with his kingdom. Now he says the harvest is plentiful. Why? Why is it plentiful? Because a lot of work's already been done, right? There's actually been someone that's went before you and done this great work. Consider our calling, uh, our vocational calling in light of the work of Christ. What did Jesus say on the cross regarding the work? It's finished, right? Jesus says, it's finished. The work of salvation, it's done. But yet, he still gives us work to do, doesn't he? He says it's finished, and then he has disciples coming around, hanging with him afterwards. They're eating fish on the bank. They're having communion together. And then right before he goes and ascends into heaven, he says what? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I've got the power. I've got the authority. I've got the judgment. I've got it all what? Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples. It's funny, isn't it? You would think all authority is his, all judgment is his. Jesus has got it all. The work's finished. You would think he'd say, all right, guys, there's nothing else to do. But there is. It's because all of this actually has to be carried out. He is the king, and we are carrying out the king's work. He is the, the one that is reigning and ruling from heaven on high, and he calls you to be part of his kingdom. That's what it means when people talk about kingdom work. It's, it's that. You're being called into this great, honorable place. Ephesians talks about it this way. In Ephesians 2, uh, 5-10, it says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses... 
Think, think about that. Dead in our trespasses, made, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him. That's the first resurrection, not the second. He's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So church, where are you at if you believe? You're actually in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, that's now, the thousand years, that's that's the, the present time, he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Whose work is it? It's Jesus' work. It's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no man may boast, for we are his workmanship. That's us. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are the works, and we're created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. That's been his plan all along. So Ephesians sums it up pretty well, doesn't it? That's Jesus' plan. So amazingly enough, we are the actual work of Christ, but we've also been called into that work to labor and reign with him too. And notice uh, it says that we are presently raised and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus to reign in him. In Christ, we are reigning now. So when you think about kingdom work, you are reigning on behalf of the King Jesus, right? We, we use this language like Jesus is king, kingdom of God, all this kingship language, but we forget like that we're actually reigning, right? We think that's future because that's what for a long time people have said, well, that's just future. That's just then Jesus is going to make everything right, and then we're going to start reigning with him. No, the reign is actually helping Jesus on his behalf, putting things into subjection to his feet calling people to repentance. Turn from your sins. Why? Because Jesus is king and he has a better rule and a better reign for you. It's the work of life. It's redemptive. It's bringing the earth to its regeneration, to its being born again. It's an amazing thing, an amazing calling that we've been called into. And each and every one of you that places your faith in Jesus gets to do that. You're actually called and commanded to do that. You're commanded, go, do it. It's amazing. So, as we close, the calling of Jesus is really just a calling to ministry. And you, you might think when I say calling to ministry, oh, I don't want to become a pastor. You don't have to become a pastor. It doesn't mean just becoming pastor or an overseas missionary or anything like that. It, it might be just being a presence in your work, wherever you're at. Connecting your life work to the work of God, right? Whatever that is, think about your vocational calling. What has God gifted you in that you are good at? Where you can connect what God has called you to do and what you actually love to do. Where these two things actually come together. And that's what the actual reigning starts to look like. The reign of Christ doesn't look like everyone becoming pastors. It actually looks just like people doing what they love to do, what they're excited to do, and calling people to do that to the glory of God, to the glory of the Son. So that's what your, your calling is to do, a calling to ministry, but it might just be an ordinary thing, like seeing the person with an ox in a ditch, right? Go do it. That, that's your calling right there. And, and, and who knows what that actually looks like? You, not, you might know. I don't know. But each and every one of you have a different calling on your life that is specific for you to actually be with Christ, reign with him, and participate in that resurrection life. So are you going to be faithful to your, uh, to your brother, to your sister? Are you going to be a, a faithful co-labor with Christ and minister to the people around you? Are you going to be the hands and feet of Christ? Right? That's the way that the scriptures speak about us. Jesus is in heaven. We're seated with him, but we're still here on earth, and we are his hands and feet. We are his reigning presence here and now. 
So take those opportunities for, for those people around them to, to, to hug them, to pray with them, to be there with them. To put, just put your hand on their back and say, I'm here for you. Just bear their burdens and be a presence to them in that healing work of Christ. Church, are you going to reign with Christ by calling all things and people into subjection to his kingship? Because that is the good work that's prepared for you to walk in beforehand. Think about that. Calling things and people into subjection to Christ. Think about your your job as a citizen of the United States. Right? There's huge implications for what Jesus is saying here. You actually have that responsibility given to you to say Jesus is king. Not you, Caesar. Not, not whoever. Not any world power. Not anything like that. Jesus is king. I'm going to serve him, and you should serve him too. You will serve him one day because everyone will bow the knee to the name of Christ one day. An hour is coming and is not here yet, but it will be soon. So get ready. That's what Jesus is calling us to, to to mirror the love of God and the the calling of God and the work of God in every fiber of our existence, just like Jesus did with his father's work. Whatever you're doing, whatever whatever you're thinking, doing, saying, relate it back to the work of Christ. Because Christ does the same thing with his father. He says, my father's working and I'm working. Right? So when someone says, why do you do it this way? If you're doing it for the glory of Christ, say it. Say, I'm doing it this way because Jesus, my king, he does it like this. And my king, he says that his father does it like this. And we're, we're always working in that kind of pattern where we're giving glory to God, keeping the pattern of creation the way it should be. Because that's really our job, reordering, rebirthing, renewing this creation that we have really messed up. And that's our calling to, to come back to the, what it originally was supposed to be. This glorified state where we're actually living with Jesus, our king, being in communion with him. So church, the charge is this. Hear the word of Christ and actually believe it. Believe the father who sent him. Believe Jesus and you will have eternal life. Very simple. Very hard to actually carry it out. I say that a lot, but it's true. He who does not will come into judgment, the text says. But he who does believe has already passed from death to life. You're already there. You're halfway there. Let's pray. Father, what an honorable state 